the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer will come back to the COVID talk as time allows. But uh, we got to talk about some other things going on today, including a grilling. Long overdue, hopefully hotter than they can stand. Grilling of Mark Milley. Grilling of, uh, of General McKenzie. Grilling of Secretary Lloyd Austin. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Mark Milley is bracing for a firestorm on Capitol Hill this morning. He'll be joined by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and CENTCOM Commander General Frank McKenzie to testify before the Senate Armed Services Committee. It's the first time military officials will appear before Congress since President Biden pulled all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. We expect them to face tough questions on the attack that killed 13 U.S. service members and what the President knew about how quickly the country would fall to the Taliban and why Americans were left behind enemy lines. And hopefully much more than that, including the decision to withdraw in the first place, especially in such an unbelievably haphazard way. Joining us now to discuss that and much more is, of course, it's Tuesday, it's Kersenow Day. Peter Kersenow, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author, columnist, as well as the host of the Kersenow Report on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning, sir. Bob, how you doing? I am hanging in there, my friend. I'm I'm hanging in there by a thread. And I think a lot of us are doing the same thing right now. We're watching our country change before our very, very eyes from a free republic to a uh, an authoritarian type of state. And um, that's what we're going to address this morning on three different fronts. Pete, let's start with that one. 
Even though it may not be the front of mind thing right now, because in, on uh, Capitol Hill uh, today, they are still negotiating a $5 trillion Democrat dream of a spending bill, uh, completely destroying not only the um, job creators in America, but obviously the middle class through inflation and stagnant or dec- decreasing wages. Uh, before we get into all of that domestic stuff and in in, in the, uh, the spending, Peter Kersenow, give me your thoughts on the hearings today. What do you want to hear from Mark Milley, from Lloyd Austin, from uh, McKenzie? What do you want to hear from these guys? Oh, I'd like to hear the truth, first of all. We've been <laughs> getting so much double talk from this administration, and we've been getting pretty much utter silence from those three individuals. You just recited at the outset all the problems, or many of the problems, with respect to the Afghanistan withdrawal. Um, when I go around, Saturday I was at uh, McFan, our friends at McFan, they were great. We had a phenomenal turnout. And um, we talked a lot about the greatest public humiliation in our military history. I cannot recall anything quite like this. There's so many aspects of this you can address. First and foremost, of course, is the decision to leave Americans behind. For the first time in our history, to my knowledge, we made a conscious decision to leave Americans behind, breaching this, the compact that citizens have with the United States government that we thought was inviolate. And they left people behind, and they're still, it, de- it depends on who you talk to, but even the lowest estimate says we still have at least 100 Americans left behind, not to mention green card holders and Afghans who assisted us. And many of these people are being executed as we speak. It, it's, it's extraordinary what happened here. So I'd like to know from them, among other things, who made that decision? Who made the decision? Because I doubt that, frankly, as much as I uh, don't have a whole high, a great deal of regard for Millie and Austin to this point, that's not one of the decisions that they would make. That has to come from the commander-in-chief, but I want to hear it. I want to hear someone say, because the press will never tell us that. In fact, the press will try to garble whatever they say to put the best face on whatever um, you know, uh, Biden's involvement was. But I want to hear from them what was the process by which they made a determination that Americans were going to be left behind, because Biden said... Like a couple of days before they did leave Americans behind, he assured George Stephanopoulos, no, no Americans, we're going to stay there until the last American is gone. And that was a complete and utter lie. They were already making provision to, to leave. But that incredible... you got to remember, by the way, the context of that, Pete, when, when Biden said that, he didn't say it freely. He was coerced into it by Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos yes. literally had to kind of goad him into saying, please say that you won't leave anybody behind. So he said it almost absent-mindedly, certainly without conviction, certainly without sincerity. He said it because that's what the interview demanded at the moment. He knew he yeah. was not yeah. going to be able to get everybody out, nor was he committed to. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it's extraordinary what happened. It, it, it was, I, I can't think of a greater disgrace committed by a president of the United States in our history. And it has angered a lot of people. It has dispirited a lot of people. This is not the same America that we had even just two months ago. After that decision, it changed the compact between citizen and government in a way that, that may be irretrievable. I don't think so. I think we, I mean, I say maybe, uh, but I have a whole lot of faith in the American people, many of whom are saying no mas. We can't take this stuff anymore. But I want to know about that. I want to know all the discrete decisions that led to this catastrophe, such as the decision to close down Bagram before anything else. I mean, strategically, that was the most asinine thing you can imagine. Aside from closing it down before we've actually evacuated everybody and the logistics of that, making it very difficult to get Americans out, we... 
abandon a strategic asset in an area that, not just Afghanistan, but we are within a couple of hours of almost every one of our major adversaries, China, Soviet, or Russia, Iran. And we just simply say, we're gone. And guess what? We're going to give you a present of $80 billion of most sophisticated military hardware on the planet. Mm -hmm. We enter Afghanistan, General Milley, and we are fighting against a 6th century group of goat herders. But when we leave Afghanistan, we leave them a superpower with $80 billion worth of military equipment. Who made that decision? Then, among other things, who made the decision? to put our greatest adversary at the time, the Taliban, in charge of our security. I, I can't even believe we're saying that. Bob, try to go into a time machine, put yourself back just two and a half months ago before this happened, and someone approaches you and says, hey, you know what? I think it's a good idea. We're going to put the Taliban in charge of securing our exit from Afghanistan. You'd be saying, okay, stop, stop drinking, right? It's just... The, the titanic errors, and I'd like to know what was the chain of command? Who was involved in making these decisions? Because every single one of those individuals, their competency at bare minimum is suspect. Well, Joe and, Biden you know, said the buck stops with him. You know, he's the oh, commander-in-chief. Yeah, right. I mean, and I, I mean, I legitimately don't know this question, but let's suppose for the sake of discussion that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense come together, CENTCOM commander, all three of them come to the CIC, the commander-in-chief, and say, we think it's time to get out. We should get out by this deadline. We can't get all the equipment out by then, uh, but but uh, that's what we need to do. Uh, what do you say, Mr. President? I, whether they said that to him and they got the green light from Biden, or they didn't go to Biden and just did it on their own without consulting the commander-in-chief, either of those circumstances, Peter Kersenow, should lead to the, the resignations of the lot of them, including the president. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all that. And, you know, what's extraordinary is we have that lieutenant uh, colonel from the Marines, I think his name was Schefter, who, um, you know, he has suffered far more opprobrium and punishment than the guys who are responsible for the deaths of who knows untold number of Americans and Afghans that assisted us. And the greatest military debacle of you know, recent times, but the greatest public humiliation of all time. It is, this is the greatest humiliation of the United States of America ever. And it is atrocious, I repeat again, because it bears repeating a thousand times, that the United States government, with our eyes open, would abandon Americans behind enemy lines, and not just an average enemy, an enemy that takes pleasure in dismembering people and hanging people and killing anybody they think is an infidel, especially Americans. This, this is ridiculous. Uh, the fact, the, the, the other component of this is that we have a press that is doing everything they can to soft soap this. We don't have a press that is allied with the interests of the American people at all. They're allied with something I have no clue what it is, socialism, communism, Democrats, whatever it may be, but they're not allied with the best interests of the United you States people. And they're clearly, yeah, they're they're exactly, and they're clearly clearly alienated from the truth. They will not tell us the truth. They either not tell us at all, or they will lie about it, as they did with this, with the border patrol in in um, uh, in Texas. So those are just a few of the questions. There's so many. This should be a, an entire week hearing, bare minimum, uh, because there's so much here that needs to be rectified, because we're talking about something that, on a go-forward basis, 
makes us very uncomfortable with the competency of our military and our ability. If we can't beat the Taliban, how are we going to fare against China, Russia, North Korea, any adversaries that have real militaries? Um, you know, I, I get asymmetrical, warf- asymmetrical warfare presents a problem for countries like us, but there's no way in the world that we should have left Afghanistan in the manner in which we did with our tail between our legs. Unforgivable. So those are a few of the questions. Oh, the one other question that's imperative that should be answered today is, how was, it, how was the determination made and who made the determination to drone strike those innocent people? including seven children who were killed. Who you know that, that answer as well as I do. You yeah. know that came directly from the top because they and, are listening yep. to the American people. And even the left-wing press was critical because of the 13 uh, service members who died. Uh, they had to say, we'll get them back. We're going to strike. We're going we're gonna to drone strike something and call it ISIS and say, there, now the score is even. Now they killed 13 of our service members. We killed some ISIS leaders. And they didn't matter who was in that uh, vehicle. It did not not matter who was actually on the other end of that strike. That's what it, what had to be done in order to try to deflect the attention away from the death of the 13 Americans. Well, I agree entirely. Uh, they need to get that on the record, however, because the press will do everything they can, and in the run-up to whatever next election there is, they're going to obfuscate that. It needs to be on the record. People need to hear that so they can't continue to lie about these things. Right now, Biden is getting cover not from uh, anybody other than the press. The press is going along with whatever they want to say. They either downplay it or don't even cover it at all. But in a hearing like this is an opportunity to get it out, get it in the historical record at least. We can't have any replication of this kind of debacle and without clearing the air and making sure we hold those accountable, all of them accountable, it's going to happen again in the future. Pete, you call it a debacle, uh, and I'll and I'll uh, use an old uh, axiom: one man's trash is another man's treasure. You call it a debacle. General Austin, uh, the Defense Secretary Austin, rather, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, uh, is bragging this morning. Uh, these hearings are underway, in case you don't know. This testimony is underway, and Austin is bragging about the wonderful job that the military did. For a long time. We operated in a deeply dangerous environment, and it proved a lesson in pragmatism and professionalism. We learned a lot of other lessons, too about how to turn an Air Force base in Qatar to an international airport overnight, and about how to rapidly screen, process, and manifest large numbers of people. Nothing like this has ever been done before, and no other military in the world could have pulled it off, and I think that is crucial. Now, I know that members of this committee will have questions on many things, such as why we turned over Bagram Airfield, and how real is our over-the-horizon capability, and why didn't we start evacuation sooner, And why didn't we stay longer to get more people out? So let me take each in turn. All right, I'm going to stop it there just because we have a commercial break. Pete, I'll let you respond to that on the other side. No other military in the world could have pulled it off. It was done so well. He's actually taking a victory lap before he takes questions from the uh, Senate committee. We'll be back with Chris and I after this. Billy Ray was a preacher's son. And when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gather around and started talking. And I think that is crucial. Now, I know that members of this committee will have just <laughs> I wanted to get to the next part of this in which he uh, he says staying at Bagram 
Staying at Bagram, Peter Kirstenau, meant staying at war in Afghanistan. It was a strategic decision to give up the Bagram And defend the embassy, which was some 30 miles away. That distance from Kabul also rendered Bagram of little value in the evacuation. The staying at Bagram, even for counterterrorism purposes, meant staying at war in Afghanistan, something that the president made clear that he would not do. As for over-the-horizon operations... All right, Peter Kirsten, now let's, uh, let's talk about the victory lap, bragging about how no other military could have done it as well as ours did it. And then secondly, he said, even using keeping Bagram open, first of all, just to get people out instead of having to get, have them all get out of Kabul, uh, number one. But the number two, even as a counterterrorism base, meant staying at war in Afghanistan. Do you buy that? This man is delusional, stupid, or both. And that's dangerous for the United States of America. There's... I remember right after or during the pullout of Afghanistan, somewhere, I was on vacation at, uh, on one of the stations, they were interviewing this little boy. He was five, six, seven years old, and they were asking him about the particulars of the withdrawal, such as closing Bagram, or who do you, t- who do you get out first, uh, the soldiers or the civilians? Basic things like that. And this little kid knew better than apparently our Secretary of Defense what to do. Our Secretary of Defense thinks this was maybe the, the greatest achievement since uh, MacArthur landing at Inchon. It's, this is just, I, I, I don't even know what to say how to respond, Bob. What this also evinces, and this is a real problem, is, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson has been on this. I know you have been on this also, that our major institutions really need to do a considerable amount of long-term introspection because we are being led by some of the greatest morons in the last half century. What is it that we are producing such incompetent individuals at so many levels? And this is an example of that. And the tragedy is we have good men and women, Americans, who are suffering as a result of this, and good American men and women who have been left behind in possibly the most hostile territory on the planet because of the incompetence of these individuals. Now, if it's revealed that, and as we believe, Bob, obviously, but if it comes out on the record definitively that it was the president who made the ultimate decision, which we know, but it's got to come out like that, yeah. then at, at that point, you know, these individuals, I, I would say if, you're, if they were honorable individuals, they would have resigned. If they heard the president say, we're going to leave Americans behind, or we're going to you know, do something else really stupid, like close down Bagram or get the military out before we've gotten all the civilians out, they should have just saluted, possibly at that point still executed the order, but immediately tender their resignation, or tender their resignation ahead of time. But to go along with the greatest travest, military travesty of at least the last half century and the greatest national humiliation of all time, uh, I don't know what to say anymore. These guys treasure their sinecures so much, their stars so much, the uh, anticipated speaking fees so much that they will sell. They abandoned Americans. They betrayed America. That is not an overstatement. And to have these guys sit up here and say it was a great success, a resounding success, they really do think we're stupid. And the reason they get away with it, Bob, and that's why I say again, it's important to get this stuff on the record is because the, they know they have the cover of the media. That's why Democrats know they can lie with impunity, because, and that's why they always seem so unprepared for real questions, because the media provides them cover. We cannot permit them to do this. And 
as I said before, since this is the greatest humiliation of all time, since this is something that has harmed Americans, Americans died as a result of this, and I hope no more Americans do because of those who are who are left behind being caught by the Taliban, but there has to be serious consequences visited on everybody up and down the chain of command, starting with the President of the United States, going down the Secretary of State, and then all of the military leadership who were involved, but didn't do anything to stop it. Peter, I'm going to give you just one quick clip of Milley here. He has now taken the microphone uh, because we don't have time to switch to the spending uh, bill in this segment anyway. So just real quick. Maintain the Karzai International Airport and transition the U.S. military to an over-the-horizon counterterrorism support and security force assistance. It is clear, it is obvious, the war in Afghanistan did not end on the terms we wanted with the Taliban now in power in Kabul. I, 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 I hate to sound like I'm in fourth grade here when I say this, but duh. I, I mean, really, that's, that's your statement. It's clear that the war in Afghanistan did not end on the terms we wanted with the Taliban in power. Then why, Peter Kersenow, did they right. agree to do exactly that? Exactly. They, they went in there with knowledge and forethought. This was their plan, exactly. And he just contradicted his, um, his boss, Millie, who, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Austin, who said this was a great achievement here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, this is incredible. One last thing, Bob, is that must be asked. They would have compared whole, notes. <laughs> yeah, a whole other line of questions is the whole thing about giving China a heads up in case Trump goes off the rails. The, the, I would ask him first, in a lawyerly fashion, you know, did uh, you have an interview with, um, you know, uh, Bob Woodward? Did what they say was true? Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. But we've got to get that out on the record immediately. Either well, Bob he addressed Woodward, that in his opening remarks, too. Yeah, he's going to get questioned on it, but he tried to get out in front of it, and he addressed that in his opening remarks, too. It's people, and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute. And I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. So there you go. There you go, Kirsten. I'll respond to that on the other side. Mark Milley said he prevented a war because on his way out the door, as President of the United States, Donald Trump was going to nuke China, and he wanted to make sure the Chinese knew it ahead of time. That's his answer to that question. You can respond to that as we get into the rest of our news on AM 1420. Like a stranger, stranger in this land, I feel like a number. I'm not a number. I'm not a number. So now I really do want to talk to you about the five trillion dollar spending bill and even the uh, the ongoing disaster at our southern border. But um, I, I got to get your response to this real quick, Pete, since you brought it up. 
The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese. And it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. All right, Peter Kirsten out. Um, stay calm, de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. But according to the book, the Woodward book, if we do plan to do that, I'll give you a call and let you know ahead of time. That is illegal. That is, dare I say it, rises to the level of treason. He has undermined the authority of his commander-in-chief and told a potential enemy about a potential military strike. Your thoughts? I agree with that, and it's not the fact that he made the call. I think um, I didn't know this necessarily. I suspected that, you know, we're in regular contact even with our adversaries. But that wasn't the point. The point is, as you stated, that he purportedly gave them a heads up and said, if we're going to attack, I'm going to give you a call. Just like you remember when, when Patton gave Rommel a call ahead of time and let him know that he was going to attack. I mean, this, this, this is extraordinary. That's the key. Now, I, look, I'm willing to give Milley the benefit of the doubt on this. I don't have a whole lot of regard for the guy, but I, I distrust Woodward even more because we have a 40-year history with Bob Woodward. And you know That's that true. he constantly comes up with, let's just say, questionable uh, narratives. But he's got to address that question. But the other question he needs to address that was purportedly in the book, I didn't read the book, but was reported in the, uh, in the news, is that Milley had told uh, a number of generals that uh, they were supposed to clear with him through, uh, other than the chain of command, clear with him and swear some kind of allegiance with him, or at least guarantee to him that if a command was given by the president to use nuclear weapons, they would clear it with him first, that he was the ultimate arbiter of right. whether or not missiles were going to be launched. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, but those are the kind of things that should be placed on the record. And one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but one of the reasons why I want to hear from this is because, not just because of the seriousness of the allegation, it's because we have seen gross incompetence from Milley in other regards. You can go back to his embrace of critical race theory, which I think is one of the most dangerous things ever foisted upon America, but definitely on our military. That is horrendous. You cannot have a functioning military if you imbue them with that poison. Um, so he's, he's been doing all these kinds of things that are harmful to the military, uh, critical race theory, but the, the, the whole debacle of Afghanistan, he doesn't inspire confidence that he's able to make decisions in a, in a competent way, or if he recognizes the orders being given through the chain of command to him, and, 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 and frankly, he was not within that chain of command, but if he is in the chain of command with respect to the Afghanistan decisions coming from Austin and, um, and Biden, then the question is, what did he do with that? You know, and everything we've seen is sheer incompetence. So he, you know, he doesn't come into this with a whole deal of goodwill. Um, I'm not going to extend a whole lot of goodwill to him because, you know, we've seen that this guy can't be trusted. Um, the, 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 this is something that, again, 
if we can get an answer to this on the record from Milley and Austin, that's very important. But he just said something about the Secretary of Defense told him to do that. And my recollection is, and everything that I've said, uh, read, is that both uh, Esper and um, I don't recall the Secretary of Defense who was in charge from like mid-December to Trump's leaving, but um, my recollection is that both of them said they never authorized Milley to say what he purportedly said. So right. he's got a lot of explaining to do, as Ricky yeah. Ricardo would say. And I hope the que- <laughs> and I hope all the questions, uh, you know, are, are indeed geared in that direction. Okay, Peter Kirsten, now we don't have a ton of time left here, but I do have to get your thoughts on this. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is placing her bets now on having enough votes to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill September 30th. But the vote won't happen alongside the president's $3.5 trillion spending package as she hoped that it would. This could put both votes in jeopardy as progressives have vowed not to support infrastructure without the spending package that even some Senate Democrats feel is too costly. As it stands, this reconciliation package includes some lofty asks like free community college for illegal immigrants, $79 billion for IRS tax enforcement, 12 billion for government electric cars, 3 billion for tree equity, 25 million for bias training, 4 billion for distance learning. And those are just some, obviously, of the Democrat wish list there. And Pete, last one for you real quick. You're going to recognize this voice. Where does he, what role does he play in all of this? Asking them to pay a few percentage points more in taxes in order to make sure that we have a economy that's fair for everybody. Peter, is that the real president of the United States right now? Well, he's the the center of the rot that we're currently experiencing. There's no doubt about that. Uh, It germinated with him. I mean, look, leftism has been going on for a long time, but he took it to a different level. And the one thing... I know know that part. Before you continue, I know that part. It did germinate with him. And you're right. It is the the, the rot. But I'm asking you, is he the guy holding those puppet strings right now and making what used to be considered moderate Joe Biden into radical extremist Joe Biden? I think that whether it's intentional or not, that's the effect. Because we see Biden, I'm sorry, Obama retreads at the highest levels throughout the Biden administration. And whether or not there is an intentional, uh, coordinated attempt to make Obama the guy who's actually pulling the strings, I don't know that. But the themes of the Obama administration continue through the personnel. I mean, they're virtually indistinguishable. All the same players, virtually all the same players are back and at the highest levels of the Biden administration. So, and we know that Joe Biden's not making any decisions. So somebody's making these decisions. I don't think it's one person. I don't think it's just, you know, Ron Klain or, you know, Susan Rice or Kamala Harris or anything. I think it's a number of them making discrete decisions in their little sphere of influence. And this is what we're getting. And it's all something that would be consistent with what we would see in the Obama administration. So this $5 trillion minimum bill, from my perspective, I don't care if anything passes. I don't know why the big rush, this, like it's essential that we have infrastructure. Sure, it'd be nice to get a little bit better infrastructure here and there. I'm looking at some bridges crossing the Cuyahoga River right now. They look pretty nice to me, but, you know, if, if you want to build things up a little bit more, I, I, I see that as a net benefit, maybe not to the extent uh, that, uh, of the budget they have for it. But nonetheless, there's no urgency to this, none whatsoever. And even Republicans think that they've got to get some infrastructure, and they keep calling it bipartisan infrastructure because, again, the Democrats – lured them into signing on to the stuff so they could call it that. But nonetheless, what do we need this stuff for? It's a boondoggle. All those things you just listed there are boondoggles. Uh, Mitch McConnell, um, the one thing Mitch McConnell is good at is that he's pretty good with respect to uh, parliamentary procedure. 
And if that's the case, and he is, then what he should do is shut this down to the extent he's already indicated they're not voting to raise the budget ceiling, which really puts a crimp on the ability of Democrats to do anything whatsoever. But it's imperative, Bob. This is the kind of thing, if, if this passed, we, we are now formally a socialist country, because this is Bernie Sanders' wish list. It really is. And we don't have the money. We don't, where's this trillions of dollars? Where's the money? It's not free. You are paying for it. Shareholders are paying for it. Customers are paying for it. Employees are paying for it. This is the nuttiest thing imaginable. But they say these kinds of things because they know the press will never call them on even the most insane proclamations that they make. Well, you beat me to it. I was going to jump on you there and say, what do you mean? Where's all this money coming from? It's free. It's already been paid for, according to Joe right. Biden. Right. You know, what's, right. what's crazy to me is, is, is quite literally in their minds, I don't think they're just trying to, uh, to play the people. I think they believe this. I think they believe that our money, your money, my money, Americans' money, corporate money, is their money by birthright. Yeah. And if it's yeah, our money and we already and, and we take it and pay for this, then there's no money being added to the debt. So how you know how are you saying this costs three point five trillion dollars? It's already been paid for by our money, which of course is our money. I agree, Bob. But this and, and, and this bill enshrines socialism, if not communism, one party rule into the United States of America. It's important that we defeat it. What I often do when I, you know, I've told the, the folks in the various organizations that I speak to that one of the best things they can do to effectuate change is to have a index card right next to their computer or their phone so that if they hear something dumb and they want to talk to their representative and tell them what they think about it, they're not deterred by the fact that they have to look up something. They've got it right there. Nothing prevents them from simply picking up the phone, dialing it, or hitting the email to their elected representative or whomever is in charge of this stuff and giving them their two cents. And believe me, I have seen it with my own two eyes because I've been there in these offices. It works. And as a public service, I would encourage every single member of your audience to tell their elected representatives, and we've got a number of them here, tell them, you know, Jim Jordan, he's going to do the right thing. You know, I think that, uh, frankly, most of the Republicans are going to be doing the right thing. You know, Gibbs, Joyce, um, you know, Latta, Gonzalez, they'll do the right thing on this thing. But call Tim Ryan up, you know, call Marcy Kaptur up. And the way to do it is, here's one number to call, 202-224-3121. That's the Capitol Hill switchboard. And just ask for it. Any representative and give them a piece of your mind right now. Tell them, vote no. That's 202. Everybody listening, get your pencil. 202-224-3121. And if you want to leave a message for Joe Biden, the White House switchboard number, the White House switchboard, you can leave a comment there. It's the comment line. 202-456-1111. 4561111 give them a call and give them the what for Pete if you call the white house comment line i want you to record it so i can hear what you tell them <laughs> uh, Bob you have to hit, hit the dump button hit the dump button <laughs> Pete last thing Gavin Newsom signed into law yesterday uh, permanent mail-in uh, balloting, all-mail balloting, uh, universal for the state of California. Now, the good news is it's not going to change anything. It was always going to be blue anyway. 
But that is the first state to do this. Uh, we all know what happened last year. They weaponized COVID-19, saying it's too unsafe to stand in line with other people breathing the vid on you on one another. So we're going to make sure everybody can just send in their ballots by mail. And I believe it led to uh, one of the biggest crimes in the history of this republic, which is the theft of the 2020 election. Now it's permanent in California. And I believe that if it happens in California, it's going to spread and happen elsewhere. I think this is as much of a threat to our, our democracy and, and by that I mean our system of government, a system of, of, of elections, rather. Uh, so it means it's the biggest threat to our republic, or as big as this spending bill, which takes us into full-on socialism. I, I agree with you, Bob. And the thing is, even though we know that it's California and that state is lost to the Democrats and progressives generally, it still has profound effects, not because it may uh, you know, bleed over to, say, Vermont, Washington, New York, New York State, and some other deep blue states, but because there are representatives, Republican representatives from California who now may be in greater jeopardy. And that could affect the composition of the House of Representatives. Right now we see the narrowest of margins. It could affect the composition of the Senate, for example, maybe not from California, but other states. So this is something of just, it's incredibly profound. My colleague, Jay Christian Adams, one of the greatest voting rights lawyers in the country today, uh, used to be in the voting section. He called me, I think I may have mentioned this to you, Bob, or on your show, but more than a year and a half ago, in April of 2020, before the election, before the campaign really got underway, the Democratic primaries were just kind of grinding to an end. He said, Pete, we've lost. I said, what the heck are you talking about? He said, the changes that are being made in the voting systems on a state level, the Republicans have been asleep at the switch. They haven't been watching this. And he and Hans von Spakovsky, who you may recognize the name, Hans was also in the voting section at one time, and he's an election law expert. Both he and Hans were, were you know, blowing the whistle. They were going to Capitol Hill and saying, guys, we have to do something about this. This is extraordinary danger. Dangerous. We cannot have election integrity with these changes being made, and many of the changes are unlawful. But nonetheless, they implemented these things under the guise of, you know, COVID health restrictions, and now they're trying to do it regardless of what the uh, circumstances are, COVID, any other kind of emergency out there. This is something that we have to be vigilant about. Individual citizens need to take it upon themselves. We are still, for the, for the foreseeable future, maybe in only the next 20 minutes, a democratic republic. If I gave you that phone number, use it. But also, think about who else to contact, your friends, your neighbors, and others, because we are at a tipping point. I don't mean to be histrionic about this. Bob, you and I have been doing this no, for several years not. now. You know, but I think many people, when I go out and talk, like when I was talking to McFan, I ask people to raise their hand. How many people think this is the most insane period of time of their lifetimes? Every single person usually raises their hand and, and waves their, their, their hand because we are at a crisis point, an inflection point, and everybody has gone friggin' nuts. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a legal term. Um, we have to demand the ramparts right now. We're seeing what's happening at the southern border. They're importing. They hope they're importing Democratic voters, and that's what they're trying to do. Turn, you know, uh, purple states bright blue, and all of these things are crashing and burning around us. And if we don't get a handle on this stuff soon, we're in trouble. Nobody lays it out quite like Kersenow does. Peter, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Take care, Bob. Bye-bye. 10.52. We'll take a time out. Come back with a couple more phone calls before we're done on AM 1420 The Answer. to watch it so you don't have to. The uh, testimony being offered by Mark Milley, by Lloyd Austin, by uh, General McKenzie about the disastrous, catastrophic, chaotic 
withdrawal from Afghanistan. It's going on right now. I'm going to get off the air here, and I'm going to watch it, and I'll have more for you on tomorrow's program. That's uh, You're going to need to know, but you probably don't want to watch, so I'll do it for you, okay? Navy man Norm in Strongsville. Norm, thanks for waiting through Curson. Now, go ahead, sir. Hi. Thanks for playing the uh, announcements from the two self-promoters, Austin and Millie. Uh, Austin couldn't find his fanny if his hand was in his back pocket, and Millie is the most disgusting, despicable general flag officer I've ever uh, seen in my life, including my six years in the military. Article 94, Uniform Code of Military Justice. Any service member subject to prosecution under Article 94 would intend to cause the overthrow or destruction of lawful civil authority, creating or in concert with any other person of violence or disturbance against that authority, is guilty of sedition. So the key words, in concert with any other person. So good old General Milley playing footsie with his... uh, Chinese general counterpart, and forewarning him that, oh, by the way, uh, an attack is underway, putting all the thousands or hundreds of thousands of American military women in jeopardy who may have been carrying out an attack if that had occurred. So as far as I'm concerned, he should be up for a general court-martial, period, end of story. And I hope the congressman hit him with that. His, yeah, I, I do, his, too, but obviously Congress can't order the general court-martial. That's the thing. There will be Republican members of Congress who bring up exactly what you did. There will be Democrats who defend him the entire time. And you know as well as I do, there's never going to be a court-martial. These people are never held accountable for what they do. Yeah, I want to hear their justification of $85 billion Christmas gift of all those weapons to a bunch of uh, you-know-whats with knives. Uh, who butcher people for terrorists, savage uh, terrorists? That's what I call them, among yeah. other things. Yeah, eighty-five billion dollars. I w- and and this news media, Bob. I hate to say this, but one of your earlier callers. I'm afraid uh, the rubber's going to hit the road soon, and we are going to be in a second civil war. Just pray and pray and pray. That's all we can do because yeah. th- this has gone beyond the pale. I, I pray that never happens. Bullets. I pray that never happens, but I can tell you this if it does, I will be on the right side of it. That's all I can say. Navy man, thank you, my friend. God bless. And I know you'll be on the right side of it, too. And I wouldn't want to be in the opposite side of a war with you. Uh, thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.